Hi, this is Steve Kelly. Thanks for tuning in for the podcast of this week's Saturday Sports Talk program with Lauren Tate and myself. And a special thanks to the folks at Kirby Wealth Management Group for their sponsorship of the podcast. We hope you enjoy Saturday Sports Talk. When it comes to financial planning, most financial companies focus on your income. At Kirby Wealth Management Group, we focus on your outcome. That's why we know what it takes to succeed both on your balance sheet and in your life. It takes the right financial partner who looks at where you are now, where you want to go, and designs a financial plan to take you there. We're here to help you achieve the life that you're after, today and every day after. Focus on your financial outcome with Kirby Wealth Management Group. To get started, visit our website at justin-kirby.com. It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM WDWS Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area and national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Now, here are your hosts. Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Hey there, hi there, ho there, folks, and good morning, and welcome to Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11 o'clock. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Hi there, ho there, hi there. What was that? That was a hey there, hi there, ho there <laughs> from the old Three Stooges days. You're ready to roll, aren't you? <laughs> that, uh, why that popped into my head, I could not uh, tell you. I have no idea. <laughs> 901, we're with you until 11 217-356-9397 is the phone numbers. Plenty to talk about uh, this morning. Uh, basketball, football, our guest lineup, Adam Rittenberg from ESPN.com will join us shortly. He's covering the final four. We'll talk about that with him. We'll talk some Illinois basketball and football with Jeremy Werner. Illinois Athletic Director uh, Josh Whitman will join us in the studio from 945 till about 1030. And then at 1030... We'll go out west to our bureau in Denver, where our bureau chief there, Paul Klee, will step in to uh, talk with us this morning. What a lineup. Good lineup. <laughs> Still got time for calls if you'd like to join us. And you know the number, 217-356-9397. You saw a, a pitching duel turn into a, a route last yeah, night. Yeah, huh? first pitched really well for the Illini last night. They're playing... Purdue, which came in 18-2, and two, and it was 1-1 one one in the eighth inning when uh, Comilla came up. Brandon Comilla's got some power, and I mean, he had a home run in the left center, a two-run homer in the eighth that was over that fence by I don't know how many feet. I, it's hard to judge, but way over. Did it make it to Florida Avenue? Mm, that I can't say. I was on the other side of things. <laughs> that I, I don't think it did, but it was pretty close. And, uh, of course, that ignited a... Seven-run, eighth-inning rally by the Illini, and they went 8-1. to one. Jackson hit a home run in the same inning later, too. 8-1 to one the final. Those two teams scheduled to play this afternoon yeah, at 3 o'clock. Three o'clock. Mm-hmm. We'll see how that uh, goes with the uh, weather forecast. There is rain in the forecast. They'll play again tomorrow. Tomorrow looks good, so if something happens to today's game, perhaps they could play a doubleheader tomorrow. Illinois softball team on the road wins at Minnesota 2-1. to one. They'll play again today and tomorrow up there. The uh, men's tennis team lost to Michigan, who was ranked number six in the country, four to one. The final there, uh, they'll play uh, Michigan State at home tomorrow, and Butler as well. The men's tennis team, the women's tennis team on the road, 
won at Iowa, 4-2. to two. They won three matches in a row. Big Ten uh, Gymnastics Championships for the men. They finished fourth. Fourth out of five. Yep. Only five teams in the Big Ten right now in men's gymnastics. Women's gymnastics uh, participated in the uh, NCAA regionals in Seattle. They finished fourth, so they did not advance. The top two teams there advance. In the uh, NCAA women's final four last night, number one seed South Carolina over number one seed Louisville, 72-59. And the number two seed UConn beat number one seed Stanford, 63-58. So it'll be South Carolina and UConn for the national championship tomorrow. That's right. And I saw this stat. I didn't look it up to check it, but I assume it's true that UConn is 11-0 and in national title games. Is that right? <laughs> They've lost in the Final Four before, but it's been before the championship game. Were they a two-seed this year? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So it'll be South Carolina and UConn there. Of course, uh, later on today, the Final Four in New Orleans. Villanova at 30-7 and seven against uh, Kansas at 32-6. and six. Jayhawks. Kansas is a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Yep. And the, the spread on the games, um, both those games, is about the same. North Carolina, about a four-and-a-half-point underdog to Duke. Duke 32-6, and six, North Carolina 28-9. and nine. So um, who do you like in those games? The well, favorites? I, the thing that, that makes you wonder, of course, I think Kansas uh, has a big advantage because Justin Moore, who is at least the second-best team on Villanova, second-best player on the team, is out, uh, has had surgery on that knee already that he injured the other day. So he's... Uh, you know, that leaves a big hole in the Villanova lineup, and they're they're hard-pressed anyway. And as I said, they're a four-and-a-half-point underdog. Kansas is getting a lot of play out of Remy Martin off the bench. Now, can he continue to do that? He was an all-Big Ten, all-Pac-12 player for uh, Arizona State uh, the last two years. He's a good player, but he's had a kind of a iffy year uh, with Kansas this year. I think he might have had an early injury, and, and uh, now he's, he's red hot. And, of course, they've got – a lot of other good players on that team, so I think Kansas has an edge there. Villanova was not very deep before that injury, mm-hmm. yep. and I don't know if they'll be able to slow Kansas down. They like to play at a slower pace, and I'm not sure they'll be able to do that against uh, that team. And But Jay Wright's been there, done that, and he's a oh, good yeah. coach. Two, ta- two championships in the last six years for So, so does that put Villanova in the blue blood category? Well, I guess so, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think... They've they've been uh, pretty good over the years, yeah, they but have. they haven't ever. They, I don't think uh, quite uh, have lived up to the standards of Kansas and North Carolina and Duke and Kentucky and those. But um, you know they're winning more games these days than Kentucky is. <laughs> We've been uh, watching the transfer portal. It's up over a thousand folks know. in Isn't the uh, portal now. I think the women's portal is up around eight hundred now. Is that right? How's how, how's LSU doing in that? <laughs> They don't have a roster at the moment. They got no players. They got a coach, but no players. You got zero. Now that's is it really zero? And there's not a single scholarship player left. Everybody's left. Barely, or wants to leave. Yeah, maybe to... maybe some will come back with a new coach. I don't know, but I've never heard of that where a team lost every single player on the on the on the squad that's on scholarship. That's but, twelve or thirteen players. Yep, Butler fired their coach uh, yesterday. 22 days after the season ended. Long delay there. Save so they a little did, money. Yeah, the buyout was reduced as of the last couple of days. You know, I don't know how attractive that job is these days. I still think it would be a good job, a good town to live in. But my first thought when I heard that, 
was Thad Mata. Oh, really? Would he want to go back there? Would they want him to go back there? Then I thought of John Gross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gross got his team into the NCAA tournament. Maybe he's mm-hmm. he's from Indiana. I don't yeah. know. Maybe they could uh, get uh, some other candidates obviously interested in that, but it's kind of a... It has been a good job, but you think they've been in the championship game twice in the last decade. Yeah, and now they're, you know, what other jobs are open? They're kind of in a situation now that, you know, I I don't know how you connect with guys that might be looking at this point. We need to call Dave Woods. He's he's written Mm -hmm. several books about Butler and their successes in the past, and uh, maybe next week we can get him on and talk about it. Yep, that would be good. 9.08 9.08 is the time. Those are some of the headlines on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We'll talk to Josh Whitman later on about uh, several things, including the new uh, contract extension for uh, Brad Underwood, the NIL, all the stuff going on, the transfer portal. I'm sure he's got some thoughts on those things as well. We'll take a break and be back with more. You're welcome to join us, 217-356-9397 on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Mike Mary and his team at the Pella Window and Door Store want to thank you for what's been an incredible year so far. Looking for the right window and door for your next project from replacement, remodeling, or new construction? Go see them now. If you got a project later this year or into 2022, now is the time to start the conversation. The Pella Window and Door Store, easy to find, 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign, or visit them online PellaofChampagne.com. Welcome back to the show. 11 minutes after 9 o'clock. Illinois Pella, Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly, and we're here with the phone lines open, 217-356-9397. On this uh, final four day, the Superdome in New Orleans, Adam Rittenberg from ESPN.com uh, joins us. Good morning, Adam. How are you, sir? Hey, good morning, guys. Hope you're doing well. Doing great here. You got your eye on the Final Four. How do you like uh, these matchups, Villanova and Kansas, and then North Carolina and Duke? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of attention on that second one. Uh, but I, I, I think the first game will be you know, compelling as well. Unfortunately, Villanova not at full strength. But um, you know they've shown over time under Jay Wright that they should always be uh, taken very seriously on the Final Four stage. And um, you know with uh, – with Gillespie at guard and, and, and just their track record, I think they'll, they'll put up a good fight. Although I saw Kansas last week, guys, here in Chicago, you know, play arguably their best half of the season in the second half against Miami. So if they play like that, I don't think anyone's beating them uh, tonight. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it should, it should be two really compelling games. And then, again, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Duke and Carolina. You know, most people say, you know, Duke is the, is the better team, more talented team. But, you know, Carolina's, you know, we've been the hotter team, honestly, uh, at least uh, ended, ended the regular season that way with the win over Duke and has continued it in the NCAA tournament. Uh, this is Lauren. I don't know if we talked very much about the the, uh, the portal, but it seems to me that uh, there's a thousand people already, thousand basketball players already in the portal. What's your reaction to the way this uh, affects the game overall? Well, it's just, you know, it's part of the sport. I mean, I think anyone who, who you know, is saying otherwise is burying their head in the sand, um, whether it's a, a, you know, a coach, an athletic director, you know, people like us, Lauren, or, or even fans. I mean, this is the reality, especially in college basketball. And, you know, there's extremes on both ends. There's, there's transfers that work out really well, um, and there's transfers that don't work out well. And there's guys that, you know, don't find what they want coming out of the portal on the other end. And so... Um, you know, I, I do wonder, uh, you know, wh- whether over time 
you know, the behavior patterns will change and there'll be less of a desire to go into the portal. But, but right now it's a popular thing to do. It's almost an expected thing to do. And there's all sorts of, um, you know, situations that end up in the portal. There's guys who are playing and they still go in. There's guys who aren't playing who go in. There's guys who, uh, you know, go through a coaching change and that's why they go in the portal. There's guys who, you know, have graduated and just want to, you know, end up somewhere different for maybe personal reasons at the end of their college. So there's all these different variables, but it's just become such an accepted thing, uh, especially in the sport of, uh, of college basketball. Does it, you think it takes anything away from the people, the fans who are watching the game? It doesn't seem to from what I see, and yet the fans are a lot more uh, engaged as far as the, the, school's, uh, the school is concerned than the players are, it seems to me. And fans, are, you know, might be there for 20, 30, 40 years that follow the same team, but these players just come and go as they please. Right, and, and to a, a certain extent it was always that way. I mean, that's why coaches in college sports are, are, are at a certain level and, 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 and kind of looked at as the faces of the program more than the players. Um, especially in basketball, you know, your high-level players, are many, in many cases, they're not going to be there um, more than two years. Yeah, I was talking with some of the, the folks in Chicago about you know, Kansas's Ochai Obachi, who you know, became a national player of the year candidate as a senior, and just how rare that is. Um, and, you know, I mean, coaches love those stories, mm-hmm. and a guy you know, develops into a star, but that's just, you know, that's more the exception than the rule um, in that sport. And so, um, you know, but again, I think, yeah, you're right. The fans are always going to be engaged. They're always going to be loyal. And especially in basketball, you have these coaches who have stayed at schools, in many cases, you know, 10, 15, 20, uh, 25 years. And so they're absolutely uh, looked at in a different way than, than the, the players who, in some cases, are only there for a few months. Before we get off Kansas, you mentioned uh, Agbaji, and they got Brown, they got McCormick. Got guys that have been there three or four years. That's very unusual. I, is that because Duke's been under investigation and maybe his recruiting hasn't been as strong as it was before because these guys have, have stayed there a long time. Yeah, he has, and he's you know he's a really uh, impressive guy. Just being around him, talking to him a little bit, um, I think he's a really good representative for for uh, for Kansas. But um, you know, again, you know, you, you look at uh, you know, some of their other stands. I guess um, uh, you know that you know Christian Braun's been there for uh, you know for a while. Um, so they have a few of those guys that have sort of you know, been in the program and have developed into. You know, really productive players, but then you look at Remy Martin, who's been uh, huge here uh, off the bench in the tournament. He was a, a you know, Pac-12 leading scorer at Arizona State. You know, it played there for for four years and then transferred. Um, you know, and and then you have other guys who who uh, you know likely going to the NBA or, or potentially train. This is just this is how that sport works now. I mean, really, college football too. You're going to have um, a number of players turn over every single year, and and that's just the uh, the thing that, that I think everybody needs to accept. Talking to Adam Rittenberg from ESPN.com. Back to the portal for a minute. You talked about fans being engaged in, in who goes where. Is, there, is this thing um, so new uh, that we really haven't had a chance to uh, maybe take a deep dive on what happens to, to the hundreds? It's got to be hundreds of people that don't find a place to go. And what, uh, you know, are their careers over? What What's going on with that? Right. Well, again, I, I think that's, um, you know, there have been some stories on that. Um you know, the way that I look at it is it's unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. And I would hope that those people um, at least got information on the front end um, about what could happen, you know, that, that this may not work out, that, that there may not be a better situation for you on the other side and that they still went ahead and did it. I mean, everyone's got to live with the decision. So, so you know, you, you do, I do, Lauren does. I mean, we all make decisions in our life and we have to sort of 
um, you know, deal with it on the on the back end. But um, you know, it, it is unfortunate. It's not what um, a lot of people want college athletics to be as you know, something that um, you know ultimately puts someone in a worse position. So you know, that, but again, it's it's going to keep happening. I, I guess I just wonder. You know, I'm I'm a parent, and I I, I, I wonder why so many parents are okay with their kids transferring. Um, you know, just just especially when they're you know kind of further along in their academic careers, closer to getting their degrees, but maybe haven't gotten their degrees. Why do you sign off on letting your kid go into the portal? Is it because you know you spent that kid's entire childhood taking them to the travel teams and spending all this money in the camps? And if it's not working out, we got to find a place where it might work out. I I, I don't know. It's um it's somewhat reflective, I think, of of, of how youth sports are set up, and also just reflective of how our society is set up that, hey, if it's not working here, maybe it'll work out there. But as, as, you're, as you point out, Steve, in some cases it doesn't work out, and that's certainly um, unfortunate for everyone. Adam, did you get the feeling that the Krzyzewskis are pushing for the idea as he retires for basketball to basically run its own program uh, separate from the other sports in the NCAA? Do you see that happening? Well, it'd be interesting to see if there's momentum around it because, you know, unlike college football, which hasn't really had NCAA oversight for a while, you know, college basketball, you know, it has had that. And, and the NCAA tournament has, has been, you know, the premier event that, that's wrapping up, obviously, this weekend in New Orleans. So I'm curious to see if there is momentum around that among other coaches um, and, and how it would work exactly. I, I totally understand you know, some of his comments about you know, having an, 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 an overarching body that's more nimble, that's more ready for change. And the, the NCAA clearly not, not prepared well enough for change and adjusting to change. You just look at the NIL situation and, and, and the fact that they had a couple of years to have more of a, a, um, an overarching policy, and, and they failed to, to deliver that. So I, I understand that desire. I'm just curious how the, this, uh, this plan would end up working. Do you think the style of play in Big Ten basketball is hurting Big Ten teams once they get to the NCAA tournament because they didn't fare very well this yeah. year and they haven't in the past. And also the postseason, I mean the Big Ten tournament, which is a yes. factor in all mm-hmm. this. Yeah, I, you know, I, I've thought about this a lot, um, and, and, and I don't really have a, you know, a firm answer on it, but, but it's something that I think everybody in the Big Ten, you know, those of us who observe or you know, coaches or you know, the league office has to look at because you know, I remember when this was a league with 16 conference games. And you know now they have 20, and that's that's four more tough games physically um, on a, on a team. You know the, the conference tournament's always been you know somewhat of a of a of a sticking point just as far as how end how late it ends. But you know they they they've had teams go to the final four that have won the Big Ten tournament. So I, I don't know. I think it's more of the style of play and maybe the structure of the regular season that need to be looked at a little bit more. Um, I think this is a league where you don't have enough elite lead guards, guys who can create and score. Uh, when, 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 when you need to. Um, I don't think Purdue necessarily had that, uh, even though Jaden Ivey you know, could, could, could do some big things for them. I, I always thought, guys, that it was the lack of high-level NBA-type lottery picks, but that wasn't the case this year. You look at the conference with, with, uh, with Keegan Murray and Johnny Davis and Jaden Ivey and Kofi. I mean, there's a lot of high-level NBA guys in the Big Ten this year. Maybe they just were all spread out on different teams, but that, that was something I, I thought about a lot. Is why why can't this league get over the hump? Because it is such a competitive and exciting regular season. But then they get to the tournament, and um, you know, I, I, again, this year I don't think people should be surprised. I mean, this is a, a league without uh, really an elite team consistently all season. Purdue was probably the closest thing to that, but 
Um, you know, it was a league that you know, had a lot of teams that you figured could make the tournament and then likely couldn't advance in the tournament. And that, that, that turned out to be true, unfortunately, for the Big Ten. I think Iowa, certainly disappointing. Illinois, disappointing. But Ohio State, probably a second-round team. You know, like that, that was as far as they were going to go. Indiana, you know, probably got as far as they were going to go. Same with Rutgers. Um, but, 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 yeah, there's certainly some others at the top, whether it was Wisconsin or even Purdue, Illinois, Iowa, that you, that you, you, you figure would go a little bit further than they did. Well, on this subject of uh, season-ending tournaments, let's go to football. Are we ever going to get around to a 12-team playoff, do you think? Or will we have to wait for this contract to run out as far as a four-team tournament? Well, yeah, that, that's, that's for sure. I mean, they are not going to expand uh, before the end of the current contract. And, again, I understand the disappointment around that, but I think it also um, – there will be several important things that happen um, in between now and, and when that, that, that playoff contract would, would change. And the, and the, the first two are the Big Ten – uh, having a new television contract in the Pac-12, having a new television contract with new commissioners and Kevin Warren and George Klyovkov. So you know, those, those new deals are going to get done, especially the Big Tens in the relatively near future. And then I think you're going to see a different structured media contract for the college football playoff the next time around. So I do think it's going to expand in 2026, but um, unfortunately they, they weren't able to get there sooner. Well, Adam, we appreciate your time this morning. We always um, thank you very much for taking time to talk uh, Big Ten and national uh, football and basketball with us. So thank you very much. Okay, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks. You bet. Thanks, Adam. Adam Rittenberg from ESPN.com with us here at 923. Phone line is open, 217-356-9397. Coming up a little bit later on on the show, we'll announce this week's uh, winner of the uh, Game Day Spirit contest and this week's uh, prize is a Big Ten championship t-shirt. If you've seen those they're pretty sharp. We'll give one away to a winner who we'll announce a little bit later on and speaking of game day spirit their stadium sale is coming up three weeks from today. That would be the uh, 23rd 22nd of uh, 23rd of April Saturday April 23rd 9 to 2 at Memorial Stadium if you've been to the Game Day Spirit uh, Spring Sale, it's always good. You can get a lot of good, uh, authentic uh, U of I merchandise at uh, very discounted prices. So that's coming up in three weeks. We'll tell you about that uh, more along the way. But in the meantime, they've got all the Big Ten Championship uh, material over there. Hats, shirts, sweatshirts, everything you need for your Illini wardrobe at Game Day Spirit on Green Street and on South Neal as well. So early in the week, we had the news of Andre Corbello entering the portal to the surprise, really, of... Where's he going, Steve? I don't know. He's got an li- uh, interesting list of people that who have reached out to him. And now we're in a, in, a, in a dead period. So I don't know if that affects the portal. I guess it does. You can't... If, if it's a dead period, you can't contact recruits, and these guys would be recruits, right? Well, we certainly don't expect any coaches to contact recruits when they're not <laughs> supposed to. <laughs> that would be terrible. Well, Gonzaga <laughs> had reached out to uh, Corbello, uh, St. John's, Pitt, Miami. Uh, if I'm the, the new head coach at Seton Hall, I'm calling him right now. You bet. You know, he's got a little East Coast. Uh, uh, Andre does. Uh, he spent some time on the East Coast in, in the New York City area, and so, yeah, there's a lot of interest there for sure. No Big Ten teams that I've seen mentioned. That's interesting. It is. 
But again, they, we don't know for sure. Uh, there might be somebody that we're not aware of that has been in secret contact with him. Right. Who, who knows? We'll talk to uh, Jeremy Werner from Illini Inquirer coming up in a few minutes, and he's been following that uh, very closely as well. And to my knowledge, Corbello is the only Illinois player so far in the portal. I think there could be one or two more that go. Well, there's going to be at least one or two, maybe yeah. three or four. Yep. And yeah. a lot yeah. of people I mean, inside the program and out are waiting to see what the big guy does. Well, that's right. That's right. And, and I'm sure that players that are interested in Illinois are also interested mm-hmm. in what Kofi's going to do. And uh, you get the feeling that Kofi might make his decision earlier this year than he did last year? I was getting that feeling because uh, last year it was, oh, it was late. a couple of months down the road from this point. Yeah. I think um, it's fair to everybody, and himself included, because if there's an NIL package waiting for him, and I'm sure there is, get started on that. Well, I think they're already started on it, I mean, well, but but again... Uh, we had some this year, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, get that uh, get that out there. The coaches will know what direction they're going and, and such, and anybody that's looking at Illinois that might be a big man will say, well, okay, let me look elsewhere, or... Other guys that would love to play with a guy like that might affect their decision as well. Yeah, and, and, and we've got we we keep bringing up the fact that we, Dutch, uh, Hutcherson has has never really played. I mean, he's played very briefly for the Illini over the last three years. Is he coming back? Is Granison's got another year if he wants to take it? But Trevin Williams had another year at Purdue. If he elected to take it, he had a pandemic year and he decided not to. He's right. got an agent and he's going to go pro for for the you know as a. I think he's a prospect for the pros. I don't know if he'll go first round, but he'll he'll be drafted. Johnny Davis doing the same thing at, oh, yeah. at Wisconsin. Yeah. But and so, you're going to tell me that was a April Fool's joke about Davison coming back to Wisconsin for a seventh year or a sixth year or whatever. It would have been a sixth year. And <laughs> yes, that's what I'm telling you. And <laughs> I think it was very well done. Well, they tricked me. Okay, look, there's several... Uh, April Fool's jokes, and it got to be where you're following the news yesterday on Twitter or wherever. You don't know what to believe. No, no. Well, I, I didn't. I. It is true that Roy Hobbs is going to be with the Cardinals, right? <laughs> He's going to take that thunderous bat, and yeah. I think that's true, isn't it? Sure, you go with that. <laughs> How old will old Roy be by now? <laughs> I don't know about fifty, I guess. Or... Um, our friend uh, Kedrick Prince from a lot of guys just uh, let me know that. Uh, UConn and Notre Dame both reached out to Corbello yesterday, so okay. the uh, that period must have started uh, today or whatever. But still, uh, nobody from the Big Ten that you know of that though. I know of. Yeah, let's say hi to Bob in Savoy. Hey, Bob, what's on your mind? Well, I uh, <clears throat> was lo- waiting to uh, see something in the paper uh, as to how Plummer made out in the uh, uh, three-point shooting. Uh, at the tournament, and I never saw anything. Yeah, there's that. a story in there, and and he did not he did not pass the first round. Oh, he didn't. Not okay. this year, no. Yeah, Lauren, uh, you remember uh, playing ball together on with Winterbottom and Webb and those guys? Uh, oh yeah. In the days gone by. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that was a uh, a great team, and uh, sure enjoyed. Yep. Yeah. That's a day gone by. <laughs> yeah, it's a day gone by. That's right. I know what I batted behind Webb when he's a left-handed hitter and a power hitter, and he pulled the ball down the first baseline, 
I remember Judge Green played first base, and I was on first base, and I'm thinking, oh, no, he's going to hit it right at us. <laughs> I think Green retired after that. He said, I don't want to, I don't want to have to feel his ground balls. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Good, good times. Yep. So thanks, what, thanks for calling. Yeah, thanks, Bob. So what you're saying there, you were looking for somebody to hide behind? I was looking, well, I wasn't going to hide behind Green. He was way backed up. <laughs> oh, man. Thanks for the call, Bob. We appreciate it. 930 WDWS and 93.9 FM. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk things over with uh, Jeremy Werner from Illini Inquirer. Your calls are welcome as well after this. Welcome back to the program at 932. Steve Kelly, Lauren Tate. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Friend Jeremy Werner from 24-7 Sports. Illini Inquirer is up early this morning. How you doing, Jeremy? Doing well, guys. Not a lot going on, huh? <laughs> Been an interesting week, and that slows down a little bit, I guess, with the uh, the dead period. But uh, let's start with uh, Curbelo because that's kind of how the week uh, started out. We had a text uh, during that break that somebody said they weren't uh, – overly impressed. Matter of fact, the word they used was underwhelmed by the list of schools that have reached out apparently to Curbelo. I, I disagree with that because I think uh, Gonzaga's pretty good. And, and, uh, from, from St. John's in the east to Gonzaga yeah, in the Miami, west and Miami, Miami in the south. I mean, yeah. Your, yeah. your thoughts on the Curbelo situation and uh, I, I don't know that anybody's got an idea where he might end up, but uh, just give us your thoughts. Well, I think it's it's a shame, right, that uh, this is the way it ended. I think of a year ago, I would have said, hey, Andre Capello is going to transfer from Illinois, and uh, it's probably going to be best for both parties. I think you would have thought I was crazy, right? I mean, Andre Capello was so good at the end of his freshman year. He struggled early on. I think people forget about that. And then this year, he just never got in a rhythm because of those unfortunate injuries and, and of course, the COVID thing. And, and uh, obviously, he was really bad offensively this year. I do think he was really good defensively, but – um, he was a reason Illinois wasn't able to advance because their guard play, along with Trent Frazier, Alfonso Plummer, just wasn't very good uh, offensively late in the season. So, um, yeah, I, I feel bad for Andre. I still think he can be a great college basketball player. Uh, and, and I do think this is probably best for both parties because if you're going to have Andre Corbello as your point guard, you kind of got to be all in on it, right? You can't go kind of halfway with it you got to you know play his style of play you got to be able to deal with some of the the turnovers but you can gain a lot out of it so uh for people who maybe would have thought i don't know the list was better i mean these are all pretty much high major teams these are all what the power six that we call that are in on him st john's was a big um obviously name in his recruitment first time around when you know he played at, at uh, you know out there at uh, long island lutheran uh, in New York. So they were a big part of that recruitment. I would imagine they would love to get Andre Curbelo. And there's some interesting schools, Texas A&M, obviously has been a pretty good program here recently, just missed out on the NCAA tournament. You know, Gonzaga with Stephen Gentry there. Stephen Gentry knows a lot about Curbelo, saw Curbelo at his, his highest at the end of his freshman year. So Andre Curbelo is going to end up at a, a really good program or a good situation. And I just hope he bounces back. As for Illinois, you know, you got Jaden Epps coming in. You hope you get Sky Clark coming in in the next couple of weeks. And, and uh, you feel like you got good talent there. It's just uh, I think he needs a fresh start. Uh, and Illinois certainly has enough talent to think they'll be okay. But I still think he can be great, guys. I hope he is because uh, he was a joy to watch. He was a joy to talk to when he was here. Well, uh, Jeremy, who do you see next in the portal from Illinois? <laughs> uh, I don't love speculating that, but I think it's pretty clear. Um, you know, where that would come from. I mean, the front court, if Kofi Coburn 
comes back or if he doesn't, I, I think it's something to watch is Omar Payne would have to sit out a year, right? But, like, it, what's his role coming back next year? Dane Danger uh, obviously is, is going to be a big part of what they do. Uh, you thought Omar Payne would be a, a big part of what they do this year with a guy like Danger, but uh, we didn't see enough. I, I'd rather have Coleman Hawkins uh, at the five, if you're asking my opinion, than Benjamin Bossman's Redonk. I, I think has a role on this team. Uh, I, I feel more comfortable with him on the court sometimes than Omar Payne, even though Payne is clearly more more talented and has a higher ceiling. Um, but does, does he want to try somewhere else, or is he comfortable with what his role is? Um, and then, you know, Brandon Lieb, is, is he going to do what Jermaine Hamlin did? You know, develops a couple of years here, then goes down a level, finds a lot more playing time. Uh, and, and then, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's ridiculous to think of this. I think Brandon Podjinski, the staff, really, really likes. Um, but if they add a bunch of guards, as we expect they will in the next couple months, uh, what is his role going to be? Um, so I, I think he can be a good player for Illinois. Uh, I think he showed a lot defensively this year when he came in, and we know he can shoot from his time. So, yeah, I mean, there's going to be a couple more transfers. I don't know if any of those guys will. I think your hope is that, that Coleman Hawkins does it. And I, I think the fact that he's not in the portal now and that Brad you know, spoke this week on a, the Field of 68 podcast of, of what he's going to mean to this team, I think that's a good sign. So I, I think your key guys coming back are obviously Hawkins, Danger, Epps, Jaden Harris, R.J. Melendez, Luke Goody, and then you kind of figure out the rest of the roster. And, and of course, Ty Rogers uh, coming in as well. So I feel like you know what half your roster is going to be next year, but that seems like every team nowadays is – you're kind of you know turning over about half your roster. The transfer portal situation uh, does not have any hard deadlines, does it? As far as when a player has to be in or when a player has to make an announcement where he's going, it's pretty wide open, right? Steve, I, put me on the spot. I know the football has a, a May first deadline to get the one-time transfer rule to be able to be eligible immediately. Uh, I'm not sure off the top of my head exactly what that is. For basketball uh if they have the same deadline so uh but no i mean there's not like hey you need to be you know changing teams by by this time right. in my i i don't i don't know that date off the top of my head or if, or if that's for sure but there's not like some big date that i know of right um, so i'd have to i'd have to look into that more the the big number there is the number of people that are in it which is yeah. over a thousand and continues to grow every day let me ask you this. If, if I decide in July that I want to, in football, that I want to transfer, uh, do I then have to go through some special, uh, uh, I mean, do I, does the NCAA have to approve me? Do I have to have yep. a, re, in order to, yep, in order yeah, to be that's eligible? Alex Bryant, uh, who transferred to Illinois last year from Virginia Tech, um, entered the transfer portal, I think it was about two weeks. After the deadline, last year it was June because they just instituted that. Now I believe it's May 1st. Um, so he applied for a waiver but was denied the waiver. Okay. Um, so he had to sit out a year. So there's still a sit-out rule if you don't enter your name. I know this in college football by May 1st. So you have to enter your name by that point. But um, as long as – as long as, I think you can still pick a school after that date, Warren – but you have to enter your name into the portal and football uh, by May 1st to get immediate eligibility. Okay, yeah, because a lot of guys will just be uh, wandering around through June and July uh, waiting to see if they're going to be picked up. Right. So I I believe that, hey, if you enter your name April 30th or whatever, and as long as you 
right? You know, you can pick a school maybe in June or July, but you have to enter your name by that. Well, the May 1st is probably set up so that people can come out of spring practice and decide whether yep. or not they want to come back or whether they want to transfer. Well, and the biggest thing is they don't want a kid entering the portal the first day of training camp and ending up on a team's rival. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's the main point yep. of this and playing them in, in a month. So that, that's why they're trying to do that. Talking to Jeremy Werner from Illinois Inquirer. Let's talk a little Illinois spring football. We haven't had a chance to see a whole lot, but uh, we have had opportunities to talk to the coaches and such. What, what have you picked up so far in the first couple of weeks of spring ball? Yeah, I think the biggest story, and I think I told you guys this before, is, is it's obviously the new offensive coordinator and Barry, Barry Lunny. And, and the thing you hear about is tempo, tempo, tempo. Now, I don't think they're going to run a you know high-octane offense all the time, but I do think you're going to see – a heck of a lot more no huddle. You're going to see them speed things up. And I, I just think more important, most importantly, just, you know, dictating more of what happens. It felt like Illinois offense was very reactionary under Tony Peterson. And I think you're going to see uh, guys like Isaiah Williams, guys like Chase Brown, just get the ball a lot more. I think he's going to get the ball to his uh, playmakers in space, which I thought was uh, lacking last year. I thought Isaiah Williams should have about 20 more touches or 30 more touches during the season. I thought Barker should have had 20 more touches and, and now he's playing for one of your rivals in Michigan State. So uh, I think you're going to see that a lot more. And then you're just kind of hearing names. I think, you know, when we don't get to see practice, guys, the most important thing is to hear names that coaches bring up constantly. And, you know, some of these are, are new names. Like, we, we kind of know some of the key pieces of this defense and the offense, but guys who could fill in, like, you're hearing Keontae Curry's name a lot, a guy who could play in the slot corner. You're starting to hear Prince Green redshirt freshman safety who could, uh, you know, fill in for Kirby Joseph. He's competing with Kendall Smith. You know, Quan Martin could play that free safety role as well, moving from that slot corner. Ezekiel Holmes uh, is a veteran that we've seen on the field, but I think everyone's kind of assuming Alf Bryant is the guy at outside linebacker to replace Owen Carney. It could be Ezekiel Holmes uh, in that spot. I think t Edwards is really going to push Calvin Avery and Burtis Brown at, at nose guard. And then a couple offensive linemen. Alex Pilstrom has started some games in recent years on the offensive line, a former walk-on tight end um, who's put on a ton of weight, looks completely different from when he got here. He's repping at center. Uh, Zach Barlev is a redshirt freshman repping at guard, so I know everyone's excited about Josh Kruitz, and I think Josh Kruitz can be a, a good center for them in the future, but there's some other names you're starting to hear there uh, that, that could make an impact. And, of course, the early and early freshmen are always interesting. I think two guys to watch there are Sean Miller, Illinois needs some wide receivers to step up. He's uh, from IMG Academy, so he's obviously prepared uh, for this, and enroll early is important. And then uh, Aiden Woffrey out of Gibson City, um, I think he can kind of play that Jakari Norwood role as kind of that speed back. It can give him something different than uh, Chase Brown and, and Josh McCray. Uh, has Pilstrom ever uh, centered the ball before? I mean, is this a new, completely new thing for him? It is, and he said the first day of practice was really rough. <laughs> he was he was uh, asked to, to get some reps at center. He just gives him a bigger option, Warren, right? And, and, and most importantly, Bart Miller said, he just gives him some experience. I mean, his offensive line outside of Julian Pearl and Alex Pelcheski just doesn't have a lot of experience. One of the guys you're counting on this year is Jordan Slaughter, and while he's a fifth-year guy, um, he's not played very much, mostly due to the injury last year. So Pilstrom has starting experience, and uh, he said a lot about confidence for him. But, yeah, uh, snapping the ball, he said, early on was, was 
a, a bit uh, rough, but he's starting to get used to it. So don't know if he'll end up there, Warren, but they're, they're tinkering with it, seeing what their best five could be. Yeah, and, and when I looked at that lineup of, of offensive linemen, everybody's at least 6'5", and everybody's at 300 or more. That's nothing wrong with that size, at least, you know, whether they're as good as last year, we don't know. I mean, uh, you know, it, uh, some of the players like Kramer last year was not that quite that size in terms of height and, and, uh, and reach and everything. But, uh, boy, this is a big, big unit if he can make it, if he can hold it together. Yeah, Zy Chrysler, 6'7", 350. I think they'd probably rather get that to about 325 at, at some point. But, no, they, I asked um, Brett Bielma about that about getting bigger up front. And I said, I know Doug Kramer and Jack Radovinak did good things for you, but obviously they were 6'2 and under, um, mm-hmm. 300 pounds. They want to get bigger. Uh, it is clear the way they're recruiting, they want to get 6'4", six, 6'5", six, up to 6'7", and 300-plus pounds across the board, which is not a surprise. That's what he did at Arkansas. That's what he did at Wisconsin. And it's the Big Ten, right? You need, you need big bodies like that. We'll let you go with this. Are you ready for some Major League Baseball coming up next week? Mm-hmm. I am. I am. My uh, my roster looks pretty good. It just needs to stay healthy. I already got one uh, one injury on my uh, White Sox um, with Garrett Crochet, but I liked the move yesterday from both the Dodgers and White Sox. I thought it was a good baseball trade, old-fashioned baseball trade that helps both teams. Kimbrell gets to close for the Dodgers. will probably be great there, but we get A.J. Pollock, who went healthy, uh, is really good. So I like my lineup. Uh, I, I, my pitching staff is a little thin. Right now, uh, I think they might have one more move in them. But uh, on paper, my, my team looks pretty good. I'm pretty excited about it. So you're managing the White Sox this this year. I noticed you referred <laughs> to right. them as your That's team right. a couple times. That's my team. <laughs> yeah, I don't get to be a fan very often, but my White Sox is the one team uh, I fan out a lot, a little bit about, especially with my Bears uh, being so bad. So, yeah, I, I'll refer to them as my White Sox from now on because there's only about 20 of us in central Illinois, Steve, uh, White Sox fans, so i got to rep them whenever I can. And we're going to be carrying uh, – some of your team's yeah, games. About half the games. I'm yeah, right here on uh, on DWS this season. Hey, Jeremy, we appreciate your time. Always good to visit with you, and we'll see you soon. Anytime, guys. Thanks. Jeremy Warner from Illini Inquirer. We'll take a break at 945. Illinois Athletic Director Josh Whitman is in the building, and he'll join us after this. Stay with us. Moving up on 948. Hour number one of Illini Fellows Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. Josh Whitman is in the studio with us. Good morning, Josh. How you doing? Good morning, fellas. How are you? Good. You're out and about on a Saturday with the sun shining right now. We're not guaranteeing it will stay that way all day, but uh, hey, it's March and now April. We're going to get that kind of weather here, huh? It doesn't seem like we saw it for about 10 or 11 days, so we're, <laughs> we're enjoying it with it out now. A lot going on uh, within your program. Uh, several things we'd like to chat with you about uh, the news this week of the extension for Brad Underwood's contract. Let's start with that and uh, your thoughts on uh, on why that needed to be done or you felt that needed to be done at this time. I, I think there's wants and there's needs, and, and certainly right. in this case, I think there there were some, some elements of both. You always want to try and reward great performance, and, and as we've it's been well documented here, we've had uh, had the best three year run of any school in the Big Ten uh, over these last uh, these last seasons, uh, one of the best three year runs in the history of the Big Ten Conference. I think uh, the numbers I read were maybe uh, number six all time in, in terms of in in conference performance over the last three years. Uh, so just really proud of the progress the program has made uh, to be able to capture the the regular season championship this year to get the the, the tournament championship a year ago. 
I know that we all want to progress farther in the in the national tournament, and certainly we expect that will happen. But uh, I think the best indicator of program growth is is that twenty game schedule that we're playing every year against high level competition in a conference that has been uh, largely identified as the best in in college basketball over the last several seasons. And so that's a great opportunity to continue to take care of coach. And and he obviously has has been the leader of that resurgence. And uh, we want him to stay in Champaign for a long time and and, uh, making sure that he's got a contract that uh, encourages that is, is obviously a big part of my job. Everybody we talked to and two of our guests already today have talked about the portal. What's the athletic director's reaction to the thousand people being in the basketball portal already? I think we're all still learning our way through the new landscape of college athletics, and, and certainly to, to sit here and pretend like we know exactly what the final landscape is going to look like would be uh, would be wrong. I, I think we're we're all understanding there are a lot of different pieces moving right now. The, the transfer portal is a big part of it. Obviously, name, image, likeness is another element. I think there are a lot of uh, expansion of the CFP, the reorganization of the NCAA, conference realignment. There are a lot of moving parts around college athletics at the moment, and uh, the portal is a big, a big piece of it, and and um, you know has created uh, a lot of instability uh, in the programs, and obviously a lot of new faces year in and year out in almost every team now. Um, it's also created some opportunity uh, for programs that are looking to to get better in a hurry, um, but. I think that I think we'll work through this. I don't know whether this model will sustain. Uh, I'll be curious to see again as some of these pieces start to come together. Whether whether there will be some adjustments, whether there will be some tweaks and modifications, um, because I think it's still very fluid, and uh, we're we're learning as we go how it will all fit together in the long run. Coach K mentioned some things about the possibility of basketball maybe ought to run its own show. I, I don't know what he meant exactly, but uh, do you see anything like that developing where you could have a sport be uh, alone by itself and, and all the other sports together? I, I don't know. Coach K's talked about that for some time, uh, the, the idea of having a, uh, a czar, quote-unquote, of, of basketball. You've also heard that come from some football schools saying, you know, there should be a, a football czar. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know whether that uh, is in the cards or not. I, I do think that it's possible at some point that you could have what you would call perhaps a, a federated sports model where uh, people are associating with conferences or, or more broad organizations for purposes of participation in a particular sport. I, I, I could see that happening. Um, I don't see that as being eminent. Um, but I, I do think that that is one of the potential byproducts that could get spit out of this churning model that we're in the midst of at the at the moment. You've got obviously a lot of stuff on your plate, so maybe you haven't given this much thought. But you met you mentioned maybe tweaking the transfer portal. Have you thought of, of ways that uh, that could be done? Well, I've I've said from the beginning when the the transfer portal first became a, a topic of conversation that I I felt like there was real value and merit in the idea, but I felt like it needed to be pushed back later in a student athlete's experience. I felt like uh, giving immediate eligibility to someone who'd been at a at a first institution for a semester or even a year uh, maybe wasn't incentivizing the right behavior in terms of trying to teach people to to push through adversity, to confront challenge, to build relationships, to, to give things a, an opportunity to settle and, and, and become comfortable 
Um, and so I, I think at some point, you know, that might be a conversation that could get revisited, this idea that maybe you have to be enrolled at a place for three semesters or four semesters before you could transfer and become. It's not that you can't transfer earlier than that, but if you want to be immediately eligible upon that transfer, uh, you have to have served some length of time at your first institution. So it's not so much a, you know, the original rule dealt with what they called a year in residency at the new school. I think it, it could serve to look at maybe having <clears throat> some period of residency at your first school before uh, before you get the opportunity to gain immediate eligibility upon transfer. But we'll see. We'll see how some of these pieces fit together. And, um, you know, what, what <clears throat> a lot of people don't realize is that the year in residency rule was the original rule on the books. It originally applied to every sport. And over a period of decades, there were uh, there there were exceptions passed for almost every sport on the books. And so, it, just to use round numbers, let's say that twenty five sports now had the exception where they could transfer and compete immediately in in at their new school. The only five sports that were still left on the original rule were football, men's basketball, women's basketball, baseball, and hockey. And so, it got really hard for us to look at the athletes in those sports and say, well. And these other 25 sports, the athletes can transfer and compete right away, but but the athletes in these five, you can't. And, and there really wasn't a healthy justification to point at that group of five sports and, and say, well, you, you're being treated differently, and here's the reason. There, there really wasn't a good reason. So you see that being reversed in some fashion? Do you, is there any kind of a, a feeling that, you're, that you see at the NCAA level, I mean, with the athletic directors you talk to, that they might want to – um, eliminate the idea of being able to transfer after one year? I, I don't think so. I, I, I think that the train has really left the station, again, knowing that it's existed for years, decades in some cases, and the, uh, these other sports, I think this idea that we're going to put that toothpaste back in the tube but for But not for as all many people be... seem to transfer in the other sports. Am I wrong? Well, I, th- I think a lot of them do. They just don't get nearly as much attention okay. uh, because they don't have the same level of visibility as, as in football and men's basketball, for example. But I also think that because it's sort of the new and shiny toy right now, I mean, it, there's a lot of activity that I, I think will settle over some time. I don't know that it will ever go away. Um, but I, I do think that the and I, I was listening on my drive over here this morning. I mean, I, I do think that the numbers will become more widely known. The reality is that there are a lot more people getting into the portal than there are coming out of it. Meaning that not every person who gets in has a place to go. And I think that story is going to get more broadly told. I think it's going to get more widely understood. Uh, and and people are going to recognize that the portal is not necessarily the panacea that that they perceive it to be and and essentially it's a it's a game of musical chairs and and when the game when the music stops not everybody has a place to sit down and that uh as an educator that's concerning for me because obviously we're in the business of seeing people matriculate and and earn an education and uh and that's something that we always want for for all of our athletes regardless of what path they choose let's talk a little bit about uh, the aforementioned nil we're eight or nine months into that now and i guess because it was so new, we didn't really have an idea what we would be looking at at this time. But uh, uh, your thoughts on the way that's taken off since July? We are just living in such an interesting time in college athletics. And, and again, you can run down the, the litany of reasons why name image likeness is certainly at or near the top of that list. I, I think that in most cases, name image likeness has been 
less of a phenomenon than we perhaps expected it would be. And I always kind of use the analogy of the of Y2K. Remember when we were all sitting there on 1999 thinking yeah. that when the clock struck midnight uh, on, on the year 2000 that all of our clocks were going to stop working, the computers were going to go dark, and, and the whole world would, would cease nothing to happened. exist. Nothing, nothing <laughs> happened. I, I think for most of our student-athletes and most of our sports, name, image, likeness has been a really nice additional opportunity for them to, to benefit. I, I think in, in football, and in our case in particular, in men's basketball, it has, it has become quite a bit more than that. And, uh, and I think we, we anticipated that. But anticipating something and living something are, are two different things, and so it certainly has become a much more um, focal point of of not only our program, but I think programs across the country. And, and again, I think that's something we expected, but now we're facing it and, and understanding the reality of it. Now, you're not involved in in helping players get NIL, as I understand, but you must be aware of what's going on. I mean, do you keep tabs on that sort of thing? We, we absolutely do, and, and it certainly is very important to our program. And so we, we've come to realize that in, in some meaningful ways we're a little more restricted than some of our peers and counterparts at other institutions in other states. Uh, and so that's something that we've actually had some conversations with folks at the state level about, uh, trying to, to put our uh, universities in the state of Illinois in, in a more comparable position to some of our peers. Uh, I think what we've learned is that the student athletes look to us for guidance. We've learned that people on the outside are, are third parties, donors, corporate partners. They look to us for guidance. And, and so far, we've been very limited in the role that we can play in, in helping to assist in those transactions. But the reality is that all of the parties who are involved in those trans- transactions would like us to take a more active role uh, because in the midst of uncertainty, they look to us to provide guidance and, and advice. And, and so I, I think, you know, we may see some, some modification there uh, in, the, in the months ahead. I think that would be good for everybody involved. Um, but it, it is something that, that we're very active and in, in aware of even, even now um, and just have to uh, – to continue to try and identify ways that, that we can capitalize on name, image, likeness to create an advantage for our program. Who decides currently where NIL money goes, how it's distributed? Of course, basketball fans are thinking Kofi Coburn when you think NIL. Um, but who says so much goes to that player or this player? Ultimately, the the what, what, what I'll call the third parties have mm-hmm. to do that. You know, they whether it's a... Uh, a family who decides they want to have someone like Kofi come to their daughter's birthday party or whether it's a, a company. Uh, I know Kofi, for example, has a deal with OSF. You know, OSF is going to make that decision, how much money they want to spend with, with Kofi versus with a different athlete. Um, and so those are, those are ultimately decisions that are being guided through the, uh, the, the third parties, the, the investors, if you will, in, in that uh, experience for those student-athletes. It is 10 o'clock, WDWS, News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM, Champaign-Urbana. We'll take a break. Josh Whitman will be here another 30 minutes on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk, and we're back after this. Stay with us. My name is Denise Martin. I'm a diehard Illini fan and admittedly love the Cubs. When it comes to financial planning, most financial companies ask, what's your salary? At Kirby Wealth Management Group, we ask, what's your story? We know building the right financial plan means looking at more than money. 
That's why we start by asking the right questions, listening to what matters most to you, then guiding you every step of the way to help you live the life you want now and years from now. Call us today at 217-355-9390. Hour number two underway, Illini Fellow Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. Josh Whitman is in the studio with us. He'll be with us for another 25 to 30 minutes. We've talked Brad Underwood's contract extension. We've talked the transfer portal. We've discussed NIL. We'll get back to some of that stuff if we need to, but... Uh, you uh, replaced your women's basketball coach. You made the announcement uh, 10 days ago or so of uh, Shauna Green, and uh, she hit the ground running. She's been in and out of town. I understand that. But uh, your thoughts on, on that hire? She's, she's been tremendous. I'm so grateful to, to Shauna, her husband Andy, their son Mateo, for, uh, for signing on the dotted line with us, trusting us with the vision that we have for, for Illinois women's basketball uh, she, she has hit the ground running, to your point. She's been in and out of town, obviously still has their home in Dayton. Her husband's a teacher, so they're wrapping up school over there for the spring semester. Uh, but she's starting to put together her staff. I think we'll have some more announcements on that front uh, this coming week. Uh, she's started to, to meet with the student-athletes. She was on the court with them uh, two days this week. Uh, and just to watch her on the court, and with most, most coaches this is true, and that, that's her true comfort zone and to see her out there with a ball in her hands teaching uh young women the game of basketball uh very fundamental uh, a lot of detail high level of accountability I, I was i was excited by by i was in the gym both days and had a chance to watch and uh really excited about the future and and just some of the conversations i know that are happening uh with potential staff and then also uh in, in terms of recruiting I, I think it bodes really well and, and i'm excited for our community to get to know her and their family is nancy Faye now is she separated from the u of i and is she is she um full retirement as far as you know she is yep nancy is retired and and uh, i know she is trying to figure out what uh what her next step will be whether she'll stay here in the community or i wouldn't be surprised if maybe they they went back to st louis you know that's where obviously she lived for a long long time a lot of a lot of friends and family down that direction, but uh, you know, as I said at at Shauna's press conference, really grateful to Nancy. It was it's not been the easiest five years to be a head coach at this level, and because of uh, a lot of different factors, but certainly the pandemic is is first and foremost, and 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 of course Nancy came into a situation uh, that was that was challenging to say the least, uh, and so I'm really grateful to her for for a steadying hand and. Of course, we didn't win as many games as, as anybody would have liked, but uh, in, especially Nancy. But uh, but really appreciative of, of the hard work she put into the program, and, and feel like we we left it in a better place than when she got here. Shauna is also working the transfer portal both ways. Uh, uh, some Illinois players are in that, and obviously she's looking at uh, who else might be in that. Um, how far behind, or maybe that's not the right word. Where does the transfer portal compare to the men? Are there there's probably not a thousand women in there, but there might be several hundred, right? I don't know the numbers, but I, I think the same factors are at play right. on the women's side as as there are on the men's. I, I know that there are a lot of really talented players, and, and for a program like ours that is looking to, to make strides, that is looking to build something, uh, the transfer portal does create a, an interesting opportunity. I, I think in any situation, uh, you always want to make sure that you do your, your homework, your due diligence, you have a good sense of the character of, of the young woman you'd be looking to add to the program. Um, but especially if you can find somebody with, with some years of eligibility left, the, the nice thing about 
the transfer portal is that you, you get that free uh, one-time transfer. And once you do it once, then it ha- you have a chance to actually bring some stability. So if you find somebody who's got two or three years of eligibility left, then you've got some assurance that they're not going to leave again. Uh, and so it gives you a chance to, to have some stability on the back end, get your roster old, uh, and bring bring in some people who are a little more talented. But it also, as with anything, it, it does have some some risks, some downside. I would say that courtship, if you want to call it that, is, is of course, more concentrated. It happens on a, on a much faster scale than in the high school recruiting context. And so uh, I think you're, you're, there's the possibility that you could make some, some errors in judgment, whether it's about work ethic, character, uh, skill level, um, because things happen much more quickly in the portal than they do in the in the high school context. Well, Josh, you've done a, a lot of building. A lot of your things are going to – I think that the baseball is going to be uh, ready. The building will be ready in the fall. The women's softball facility will be ready in the fall. Is that correct? And then for, for next school year. Uh, what's your next project, <laughs> Josh? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, and, and we certainly have started to have that conversation. I, I think when, when I came here now almost – over six years ago, we, we put our heads together and came up with a, a great first step of our facilities master plan. We called it six projects in five years. It kind of grew to seven or eight projects. There were some things there that we didn't anticipate, the Atkins Golf Club being a, a great example. Um, but we're, we're putting our heads together now and trying to figure out what those next steps will be. Uh, I think that some of these macro-level factors that we've talked about already here this morning have some bearing on, on what some of those strategic decisions may look like going forward. So I think part of it is is giving some time for some clarity to develop around college sports in general and, and how this entire model will, will look moving forward. Um, and, and we want to make sure that we're continuing to put uh, our, our two revenue sports in a position to, to gain success, to, to boost our business model. Uh, and so we're gonna we're gonna continue to, to deliberate internally, but uh, but no no big announcements right now to figure out what uh, what's next in the pipeline. We know there's a handful of facilities that still need attention, and and our intent is to uh, is to come back around to those as quickly as we can. How far back on the burner is hockey? Well, it's it's still on the back burner. I would say I don't know how far back, um, but it, it's an ongoing conversation. Uh, we still have the partners around the table. We're still interested in the project. Um, but it, it has not risen to the to the front of the line yet, and there still are a lot of unanswered questions we have, primarily on the financial side. Uh, and so it, uh, it it's an ongoing discussion. It certainly is not uh, a dead project by any means, but it is something that uh, that has not uh, moved its way to the to the finish line uh, quite yet. Back to women's basketball, women's sports in general, actually, and NIL. Talk a little bit about the opportunities there for women. Uh, women in uh, sports to capitalize on that? It's been exciting. I, I think if you look at the national numbers across the country, there's been a lot of activity on with, with female student-athletes, and I, I think a lot of that ties back to their success and prominence on social media. A lot of our female student-athletes are, are very active on social media. They, they have large followings. They're able to then capitalize on those followings to, to generate revenue through a variety of means. Um, and so... It's been uh, it's it's been good in that sense. I, I think that what's interesting about whether it's women's sports or even some of our uh, our maybe our less uh, visible um, men's sports, I, I think that for them, some even some smaller, more more modest NIL arrangements can 
can really make a significant difference. And so, you know, some of the numbers that we talk about in football and men's basketball uh, just aren't, aren't obviously coming to the forefront on, on the women's side or, or even on some of the Olympic men's sports sides. Um, but I think that there's an opportunity even for uh, pretty modest investments from third parties to, to make a big difference in the experience of those student-athletes, and, and we've been encouraged by, by some of that thus far. Did you see where Adidas is going to, has, has 109 schools, as I read it, that use that particular apparel, is going to provide income for athletes at all those hundred. I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't think it's been clarified. Did you see Nike do anything like that? I don't know. Again, name, image, likeness is just it's 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 a complete unknown right now. It's we are living in we are living in the midst of a revolution in college athletics. It's the best way I can describe it. And. Uh, and there is new innovation and opportunity becoming available almost every week. Somebody comes up with a new idea. They, they test the boundary. They decide, okay, is this something that makes people comfortable or not? Uh, does this fit within the guidelines? Does it fit philosophically? Uh, and sometimes you, you push that boundary, and the answer is yes. Sometimes you push the boundary, and you realize that, that you should, should pull back a little bit. Uh, that's, that's, you know, um, it, in everything, like everything else in life is a question of the lens that you choose to look through. And I think you can look through one lens and say, wow, this is scary and, and it creates a lot of uncertainty and anxiety. Or you can look through a different lens and say, this creates tremendous opportunity. And we have really tried within our program and in com- talking to our student athletes and people connected to our, our teams to, to choose the, the latter, that this is an opportunity. Uh, and, and so we've we've tried not to cower in the corner and, and shield our eyes from it, but to understand that we're we're living in the midst of a of a fluid changing time, and and we want to try and uh, evolve along with it. And, and I'm I'm optimistic that we'll be able to do that. Uh, if you look over over the history of Illinois, we've had great men's gymnastics teams for many years. When I came, Charlie Pond had a Big Ten champion. We saw the results yesterday. Uh, for the Big Ten, five teams competing. How close are are we to the to losing gymnastics as a men's sport in in uh, in this conference or in this country? Well, across the country, I think the numbers speak for themselves. I, I I'll get the number wrong, but I, I want to say it's thirteen teams nationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you mentioned, there's five in the Big Ten. The Big Ten's one of the last uh, conferences to sponsor at, at, at a broad level. Uh, so I, I am concerned about not about necessarily the future of Illinois, Illinois men's gymnastics, but of just collegiate men's gymnastics. I, I think that the numbers are are pretty striking. Um, but you know we're hopeful that uh, that we'll continue to stem the tide. I've, I've talked to not just our coaches, but some of the other Big Ten coaches about some potential changes to their model that that I think could help them sustain longer. Uh, I think that ultimately, if something like you know the Olympic movement, if USA Gymnastics wants to see collegiate gymnastics remain a a viable jumping off point into the Olympic experience, there's going to probably need to be some conversations about more direct partnership and, and engagement, um, financial and otherwise, in order for those uh, those student athletes to continue to have that opportunity. It is something. As, as one of the few schools in the country that sponsors the sport that, that we monitor very closely. Um, and, and we're, you know, wanting to be a part of those conversations because it's uh it's a concern. It's a concern. There, there certainly during the pandemic, uh, 
there were a lot of sports cut across the country. Uh, we did lose a, a couple men's gymnastics programs in the course of that uh, retraction. Uh, you saw the, the men's gymnastics teams at both Minnesota and Iowa uh, were, were cut as part of the, the COVID experience. Um, and so it's something that uh, that we're monitoring carefully and, and, and do have some concern about, candidly. It's uh, it's a, it's a sport that, that the numbers are diminishing, and, and we need to continue to, to monitor it, and, and we hope to continue to be actively engaged in trying to find ways to protect it. Talking to Josh Whitman, we've got another segment uh, with Josh, the Illinois Athletic Director, at 1015. We'll take a break and be back and do that after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to the show with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. Josh Whitman is with us as well. We talked about uh, the new head women's basketball coach, Shauna Green, being named uh, recently. She'll be, uh, by the way, our guest Monday at the Esquire, hour number two of Monday night sports talk in downtown Champaign at the Esquire. Shauna Green will be there. Um, uh, you have another job opening in uh, on the women's swimming side. Sue Navisky, who's been here a long time, announced uh, her retirement. Uh, talk a little bit about her and then how the uh, search is going for that. Sue's been tremendous, and a lot of people may not know Sue. Uh, swimming doesn't get as much recognition as it, as it should, but uh, 28 years as a part of our athletic program, uh, the head coach for, for more than 20 of those years, and has just been a, a steady guiding hand. She's the winningest coach in the history of, of Illinois swimming. Uh, her swimmers do everything right uh, away from the pool in terms of their, their classroom efforts, their activity in the community on campus. Um, she's been a, a stalwart senior member of our head coaching staff for a long time now and uh, just wish her all the best so so grateful to her for her long tenure and leadership and uh, and and as with anything always uh, trying to take the opportunity that that change presents to to move the program forward and and we've been pleased with uh, the interest that we've had in in that position and and that's an ongoing process Uh, probably won't move as quickly as some of our other um, searches have um, but uh, it's, it's been encouraging, just uh, some of the early conversations we've been able to have, some of the early interest that has been expressed by uh, people across the country. And uh, the, the word's out. I think people recognize what a great institution the University of Illinois is. I, I think there's uh, a lot of positive momentum around Illinois athletics, and uh, we're able to project that, that vision in front of folks and, and get them excited to, to visit with us. Has your position on the subject of sports betting changed any? since the last we spoke to you? Short answer is no, it, <laughs> it, it hasn't. You know, I, I think that, um, you know, if anything, it, it perhaps has intensified. And, and, I, and I get it. You know, I, I understand all the the realist arguments. I understand that people can cross the state lines and place bets. I understand that people are betting illegally already, and so why wouldn't we allow um, the, the state to capture some of that revenue and to bring it above board and regulate it? I, I get all that. Um, I, I do think that our state in its lawmaking capacity has a responsibility to put flags in the ground that demonstrate what our values are. And I think that valuing the, the mental health and well-being of our student-athletes is a signal worth making. And, and so for me, that's, that's sort of the beginning and ending of the argument. I, I just recognize that because I spend all day with these folks. I, I know that they're 18, 19, 20 years old. I, I know in some ways that, that despite how they look on television, they look like world beaters. They look like video game characters. You know, they're, they're real people, and, and they're struggling with the same things that 
every other 18 and 19 and 20 year old are doing except they're doing it in a very public forum they're, they're succeeding and failing for all to see and and I know the the level of of pressure that places upon them and and so I worry that and, and that's just sort of in the traditional college athletics landscape and then all of a sudden you layer on top of that 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 people are losing hundreds or thousands of dollars on their performances uh, and and now that they have an opportunity to share their frustration or displeasure with our athletes when they fail to perform at the level they expect via social media that's a lot that's a lot uh, and so you know I, I'm not anti-sports gambling I, I think if you want to gamble on professional athletes more power to you they're pros and, and but I, I think that in the collegiate space um, like I said they, they they play like superheroes but they're in a lot of senses they're still just kids and and that gives me a lot of heartburn that you know, again, sort of philosophically, uh, from a values perspective, that's not a signal that we're willing to, not, not a flag that we're willing to plant in the ground. You you speak of uh, the ugliness, the ugly side of the social media thing. And I know that uh, for Trent Fraser, for instance, received messages that nobody should receive. And I'm sure others did too. I'm sure Crabello did. And it might have affected his decision. I don't know. But do you have anybody in your department that works with them in terms of their mental health? We do. We, we've got a growing mental health force in, in Cargill Hospital, of course, is our, is our health care provider, and, and they're incredibly generous with the support that they provide our, our program, not only in the physical sense, but also in the mental sense. And so a lot of their mental health professionals are, are uh, on staff with us. Uh, it's an area that will continue to grow for us because we, we do see it as an increasing need for our student-athletes for a variety of reasons. I think the social media activity is certainly part of that. Uh, we did, just as an aside, uh, recently launch the I Matter campaign, which is, uh, I think, the first of its kind in the country, really trying to remind people to be civil uh, and respectful to our student-athletes in terms of their social media interaction, dialogue. Obviously, we, we had some other situations arise in State Farm Center toward the end of the basketball season that weren't online. Those were in person. And so I, I think that we've uh, in some ways needed to, to recenter uh, fans and, and supporters of the program uh, to, to make sure that, that we're being mindful of the people who are at the center of these comp- competitions, these contests. And, uh, and, and we're really proud to, to, uh, to be a part of that. Gary in Urbana has a question for Josh on the telephone line regarding seating at Huff Hall for volleyball. Go ahead, Gary. Yeah, good morning. I've actually spoken to you a couple of times in situations, at least over the last two years, about the terrible seating conditions at Huff Gym for volleyball above the two reserve sections. I mean, my wife and I have been, we're avid fans. We've had season tickets for a long time. And once the previous director pulled all the seats out up there and put the uh, sports desk or the media desk in the middle of the aisle. You know, they talk about Stuff Huff. I would never want to go to Stuff Huff if I could not sit in the reserve sections because upstairs it's miserable to try and see. No seats. You're seating on, seated on uh, basically a concrete slab with a piece of plastic on it because they never replaced the seats. And every time I've talked to you about this, it's been, well, we're looking into that. I haven't seen no results of looking into that, and I think it's too bad. Uh, no, I appreciate the comment, and I, I recognize your voice and, and remember the conversations. I, it, 
the the answer is we are looking into it but the the longer answer is those changes are are pretty dramatic that would be necessary to return those seats to a a higher degree of visibility and and because they would be more dramatic they're also more expensive Uh, and so it's not something that we've lost sight of Uh, it, it is an unfortunate byproduct of that piece of renovation that was done prior to my arrival here um, some of that stuff is was code driven some of it was uh, was not um, but we were well aware that those upper seats in, in certain segments of the of the of the gym aren't as as uh, as good as, as we would like them to be and, and it is um, something that we continue to evaluate um, but we'll just have to make sure that as we work through that evaluation and come up with that that plan to try and address those things that we've got the funding in place to to try and make those changes and so to date we just we haven't been able to push that one forward uh, but your comments are are spot on and we're something we're very aware of um, and we're we're uh, nonetheless we're excited about the environment in Huff and really grateful to all the fans who continue to come out to those games because it does create one of the great home court in uh, in all of college volleyball when you had the idea of the building downtown which was going to involve hockey did that affect how you were treating huff in the sense that you wouldn't be at huff many more years anyway for a while we were thinking that way yeah that that we should kind of hold off on some of the bigger projects that that maybe would have involved huff and, and maybe a couple of our other facilities pending some resolution on the downtown arena I, I think that you know more recently we've realized that uh, we, we can't continue to delay some of those decisions on some of these other facilities while we wait on the downtown project to either happen or not. And so uh, we, we've kind of re-engaged here recently on, on looking at, in particular, Huff, but, uh, but some of our other spaces as well on, on how we might be able to make some incremental improvements to those areas without, um, without breaking the bank, but at the same time in, improving the experience for everybody involved couple more minutes with uh, Josh Whitman. One more volleyball question uh, from a passionate volleyball fan, Ann in Champaign. Go ahead, Ann. Yes, um, as a senior citizen um, who attended, has attended volleyball for umpteen years, the parking situation is disastrous for um, a good part of your population that attend those games. And it's only grown worse over the last couple of years. And I understand the pandemic, but the new building being built, next to the and taking out the parking space what are your plans for improving that situation it's a little bit limited i, I appreciate the the question um you know those parking lots had, had as you mentioned had always been very helpful for us in conducting events at huff hall building those uh, facilities on those parking lots those weren't decisions that we had much uh, much say in unfortunately um but uh you know we have started to utilize the shuttle uh, that, that runs from either our BFL lot or the State Farm Center lots uh, up to Huff, uh, which I, I think will return again for this fall. Uh, and, and we're continuing to evaluate that. My understanding is that there may be some new parking opportunities becoming available on campus in response to some of these lots being taken offline. We expect that as those projects are completed, those will uh, help the situation at Huff. Uh, but, but, you know, what, what's interesting, too, and in, in I... I would, I think it's worth noting. You think about football, for example. Our, our football fans, in some cases, will walk a quarter of a mile, half a mile from from their tailgating lots to get to the football stadium. Uh, I think we've been fortunate for a long time with this parking situation we had. Whether you're talking about State Farm Center, where we've got, of course, the four quadrants, uh, we had the lots immediately around Huff. 
Uh, I think in some ways we were we were very fortunate for a long, long time to have such proximate parking. Our, our fans got used to that. I don't think traveling around to the other campuses across the country, across the country, and certainly in our conference, that such proximate parking is the norm. It certainly is not. And so, um, you know, so we, we're going to have to kind of learn to live with this new environment, and, and we'll continue to do what we can on our side through shuttles and, and other other services to try and make it as. Uh, accessible and fan-friendly as we can. Thanks, Ann. We appreciate the call. We'll let you go with this, Josh. I need to keep all my golf buddies happy, so I (laughs) I need to ask the question about Atkins Golf at the uh, University of Illinois, the former Stone Creek Golf Course. I was out there uh, a few days ago, and it's looking good. Is it pretty much on uh, schedule? It is, and we're excited to get it open. Uh, I just talked to, to Jackie Sismoniak, who's our assistant athletic director for golf operations. She's been spearheading that effort for us for the last year and a half or so. Uh, we're anticipating that that will open to the public in early June. Uh, we'll we'll have some, some more limited play, I think, uh, before that, probably for our teams primarily, maybe a few sp- small events, uh, depending on how the, the course emerges here from the winter. Uh, but, of course, it's starting to green up, as, as is everything right now. And so we're curious to see how the, how the greens fill in and some of the, the newer areas. Um, but it's, it's going to be a beautiful golf course. As you guys know, I don't, I don't spend a lot of time with the club in my hand, but uh, I've had a chance to, to be out on the course with some people who do, and, and they're really, really excited about it. I don't think there's another course like it in the area, certainly. And, um, and, and the other part that I do spend a lot of time in is – uh, is the restaurant, and so I hope everybody's had a chance to get out to Homegrown. Uh, that's been open now for a, a couple of months, and uh, fantastic new location, farm-to-table restaurant. Uh, as we come into the spring here, they'll actually be farming uh, about five acres of land that's about 200 yards away from the restaurant. They're going to make a lot of the or grow a lot of the food right there on property, uh, and bring it over to to the space. And uh, Ryan and Abby over there have been tremendous partners, and, and really excited about that. Um, uh, that that new amenity for for our entire community, and we didn't even get to talk about spring football. We'll do that next time. But uh, <laughs> we're about halfway through that with the spring game coming up on the twenty first. Yeah, we are. It's it's been fun to see them get back out there, and, and just what a difference a year makes to to watch the guys know where to go on the practice field, to, to know the drills that they're doing, to have an understanding of of how to practice, to coach Bielema's expectations, the language that's being used, the. Uh, the terminology, the, the the structure. Obviously, the new offensive coordinator has brought a new a new system on the offensive side. But but the guys have taken to it quickly. I'm actually headed straight from here. They've got a a closed scrimmage this morning, but a scrimmage they'll get out and, and get after pretty good today. And so I'm close but open to the AD, right? I, I, I find my way in. I find my way in. They uh, they keep trying to keep me out, but I, I I've got enough keys that I can I can find a door you, you to unlock. Tell, you tell them that I I can go too with you because I wouldn't know what to sell the other teams anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's been spring football always always brings a great energy and. Uh, obviously, a lot of optimism about the fall, and it's going to be different because, as we all know, we've had a uh, a lot of guys who were part of this program for a number of years who are gone now uh, through the COVID year, and, and a lot of guys who were here five, in some cases six years. Uh, and so, for me, there's a few guys who've been on the team literally since my first season, and so Palczewski, yeah, yeah, Palczewski, yeah. and yeah. and you think about you know Doug Kramer and Blake Hayes and some of those guys to not see them out there every day. I'm thrilled Palcho's still there, but. Uh, it's been uh, been a lot of new faces. I've had to take my roster to practice for the first time in, in a couple of years and start to, to learn some names. But uh, excited about the direction that program's headed and uh, looking forward to a great fall. Fight the risk 
to put the pads back on. <laughs> I don't have to fight very hard anymore, <laughs> Steve. I tell you, I uh, I just want to get get to a point where it's not so windy and I can go out and run a little bit and get these old bones moving. That's uh, that's that would make me happy. I don't need to put on shoulder pads anymore. That's Josh Whitman, everybody. Josh, thanks a lot for the time. We appreciate Thank it. You guys. Thank you. We'll take a break and be back with more after this on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. 1035, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly with you until 11. Thanks to uh, Josh Whitman for spending 45 minutes in the studio with us. And Paul Klee gets to follow that act (laughs) on the telephone line from our bureau in Denver, Colorado. Good morning, Mr. Klee. How are you? Morning, guys. You know the JV team's supposed to go before varsity, right? I should have been before Mr. Witt. Yeah, we could have made you the leadoff hitter there and then uh, brought him in to clean up, right? Yeah, he's done a good job, man. Um, I think uh, he's done a really good job, and I should be on before him, not after. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll... We wanted you to get enough sleep. You're in another time zone out there. We couldn't call you early. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I got to get my kid over to the the chipping green here, and he's been slacking on his short game, and he turns sixteen months next week. I don't, I don't know how he expects to have Mike Small call him in in fifteen or sixteen years if he doesn't work on his short game. Got to get, right. get him started early. I've got a grandson that very same age, and uh, yeah, you got you got to get him started early, Mister Clee. Uh, let's talk yeah, a little bit about uh, the dog. Go ahead. He's chasing the dogs around with his plastic six iron, so they'll appreciate me getting them out of the house. <laughs> the dogs may not appreciate that. Um, let's talk about uh, the transfer portal as it might uh, pertain to one Andre Corbella. You saw that news earlier in the week, and I, I see that uh, Gonzaga uh, is one of the teams that uh, has uh, at least some, uh, some early interest in uh, speaking to him. Your thoughts on that whole situation? Yeah, they're going to take a look at him. They're going to see if that fits. You know, they, they have a lot, most of their backcourt coming back, including a couple of McDonald's kids. So I would be surprised if that's the direction that he goes. I kind of get the impression from people I've talked to that going back east is more likely. Um, but he would certainly sit, fit the uh, style of play. They like to go fast and they like to play a little bit. Well, not a little bit. They play faster than anybody in the country, and he certainly excels with that. So I'm interested to see where he goes. This was a, a really hard year for him, and um, he just seems like I, – I love his spirit, you know, and, and it wasn't there. And I want to see that guy go somewhere and really succeed because I think he's a, a sensational talent, as Coach Tate has put it before. And, um, you know, we have bad years. All of us do. And I hope he can rebound and go to a place where he plays 40 minutes a game. Well, uh, you see him – you do then see him going east, and do you see him making a come, a bounce back uh, after maybe a, a down year? Yeah, I, I do. He's, he's too um, – I don't want to – he is talented. He's very talented, but he also – he plays with that – it's a spirit that that's the best word I can come up with. And when I watched every Illinois game, I didn't miss a game this year. It, it just didn't pop like it had in the past. There was, there was something internally that felt, I felt like was missing there. And so we didn't see the same bellow that I think people, you know, I remember we talked right before the season and there was all American talk around him. I think he's that good. And there was just something missing there. It didn't fit. Illinois was a bad fit for him. 
and he needs to, you know, he knows what he needs to do. And, you know, I think going back east probably is what's going to happen. Um, I don't see him landing in Spokane. Let me put it this way. I would be surprised if he did because of the guards that they have. So um, I don't think that's going to happen. That, that's just my opinion. You mentioned Gonzaga playing fast, and I, I thought they – I thought they played too fast in the game. In the game, they lost at least. I, I don't remember past Gonzaga teams coming down and shooting the three that quickly, and just it just seemed to me like they were. I don't know. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, I think I think you're onto something there. It was, it was a very rare Gonzaga game because of how poorly, how inefficient they were. You know, I, I was just looking it up this morning. They, they've been the best offense in the country, efficiency-wise, which takes into scheduling and who you're playing, for the last five years, which is just nuts. And they were they were throwing up shots that they just don't shoot. Yeah, that's so what I thought. It was interesting to me because Arkansas, which they play kind of fast, but not really, they were really trying to slow it down. They were They were pulling on their shorts. And it felt like the Zags let them off the hook by some of the bad shots they had taken. I think they were looking ahead to Duke. Well, I, I think, I think that the, the fact that you got Timmy in there, and he is so good with his footwork, they just needed to, when, when they start missing shots, they need to go back to him. I mean, he, he, right. he, he won some games for you. He's a good player. He's a really good player. And it'll be interesting to see what he decides. The NIL thing has changed – uh, situations for guys like him. He's, he's to me, he's not an NBA player. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got probably four, maybe five that will play in the NBA. I don't think he's one. Mm-hmm. I, the the athleticism. I was I went to the Nuggets Timberwolves last night. I tell you, every time I go to one of those games, I it's I marvel at just how big and athletic and springy and bouncy those guys are. And he's not that guy. So the NIL, if you're on the fence, if you're a borderline guy, he can come back and make a whole bunch of money with that mustache and that personality and his potty mouth on national TV <laughs> post-game interviews, and he may just come back. He's got two more years left. So we'll see. It's interesting what the NIL have done, has done. It's, I don't think we've seen the full um, scope of how that's going to affect college basketball. How much could a guy like Jimmy make? Could he make a million? I think about a half a million is what I was told. Okay. And, you know, that's that's on the high end. It's it's not going to be the male athletes for the most part that are going to benefit from that. Um, I saw the five top earners the other day. I think it was on social media, and four of them were were female athletes. So, uh, but he's you know those kinds of guys with the the personality and the reputation and the you know, I think Morrison would have been one of those. I, you know, uh, D definitely would have been one of those. My gosh, could that guy have made money with the NIL? Um, so there are certain guys that will benefit from him, and he's one of those. I think he's probably going to come back. That's my guess. Talking to uh, Paul Klee, the uh, transfer portals. I don't know if you can say it's gotten out of hand, but it certainly is the wild, wild west <laughs> overall. Uh, your thoughts of maybe the, the direction that's going and um, what, what are your thoughts about uh, just the way it is right now? There's good and there's bad. And I want to start with the bad. And it's a conversation I had with a Chicago coach the other day. 
um, high school coach up there who has had a ton of players come through. I mean, high majors. They're not getting recruited anymore. The, the letters have been cut in half. You know, the phone calls are cut in half because a coach is going to take an established, proven type, you know, Belmont kid or a Florida kid or, you know, Murray State's going all over the place. He's going to look at that. His body's already custom made for division high major basketball. He's going to take that guy for a year or two over a kid that hadn't done it yet. So I think that's the bad that high school players aren't getting recruited like they were. Um, the good is you can you can flip a roster really quickly. Look at Iowa State. You know what they win two games last year, yeah. yeah. And they're in the Elite Eight this year, Sweet Sixteen, whatever it was. So you can flip things really quickly. There are a number of programs that have been doing that for a long time now. Those are the ones that are really going to benefit because they they know what the process is like. And they can tell a kid, hey, look, we took this guy from Washington and turned him into an All-American. That's a big selling point. Because these guys that are leaving schools, you know, there's, a, there's a, a friend of mine in the OVC right now that just lost three players. They can't play. They're, they're, not, they're not good enough. And they're going expecting to start somewhere else. Well, they're not going to because they couldn't start at the school they were just at. And that school wasn't as good as the one they're going to. Right. So there's um, – the boy, I tell you what. You, a, a support system is so important for these kids right now. People that are really honest with them about what level they can play. And I think those are the ones that are going to succeed. Talking to Paul Klee in Denver. Let's take a call for Paul from Florida, from Mark. Go ahead, Mark. Hey, good morning. I wanted to ask Paul. You know, I know the NBA's changed. I'm not an NBA fan, but I'm a huge college fan. Uh, I know that you cover that Denver team out there or, or watch them for years. And help me with this big center's name, Jokic. <laughs> That's right. That's that right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Why, why couldn't Drew Timmy, with his basketball IQ, his footwork, his passing ability, his court vision, be a mm-hmm. poor man's Jokic? It's a great question, Mark. Uh, one thing is, you know, Myers Leonard came through here a few years back, and he was with he was with Zach Collins, and they came out here with the Blazers for a playoff series. After the series, I asked Myers, um, "What's it like playing against Jokic?" And he said, "How much does he weigh? How big is he?" He's got to be 315 pounds. Oh, man. And that, that right there, and that, that was before he trimmed down. Now, he's not that now. He's, he's mo- he moves now. But he's so big, Mark. He, Jokic is he's just wide. a mountain, and, and you, can't, you can't move him. You can't do anything with him. He just gets wherever he wants. That's the biggest difference there is Timmy's 6'10", really good footwork, great touch, all that. He's not 300 pounds. That's why they call him the dad bod god, right? <laughs> got that big, huge body. That's right. I like that. I'm going to steal that. Okay, now, uh, Clay, you were a great 15-foot jump shooter. What happened to the mid-range game in college basketball? I hope Marcus Jackson isn't listening to this right now. 
You remember when Marcus and I played one-on-one. I, I'm not allowed to talk about that anymore, so I won't bring that up. When You I won the trophy, it, for goodness sake, the news, because that trophy. I saw you. I know. Mid-range you know, shooting. Rosso tried to take it back. Yeah, Jim <laughs> Rosso tried to take it back. He said I let him have too many beers before I played him, which is true, but that was part of the, st- that was part of the strategy. Yeah, you got to have a game plan. I, you know, That's right. Yeah, he fell right into my hand. So I, I'll tell you what. It, this is just an honest observation. This tournament to me, and I know that the TV ratings for these games tonight are going to be extraordinary. It will be the most watched tournament games we've ever we've seen since probably 1979, since Magic and Bird. But boy, it's rugby. It, it is so physical, and that that freedom of movement rule it just went out the window. You know, the hand-checking and the holding and the grabbing. I'm going to cover an avalanche game in a couple of hours. That's what it looks like. It looks like hockey a lot of the time. I really hope that they take a look at the officiating and say, Illinois shouldn't be scoring 100 points in two tournament games. You know, the, the physicality of those games was extraordinary of what they allowed. Now, there were some excellent games. I was at the St. Peter's-Kentucky game, and I've never seen an arena so quiet. It was all <laughs> Kentucky fans. It was up in Indianapolis, and, you know, that's not far from Wildcat country, and it was just like it was a library in there. So there were some fantastic games. Boy, I wish they'd get back to that disallowing the hand-checking and the holding. I think that's really prevented some of the skill and athleticism from, you know, rising to the top. So I got to think there's a lot of coaches, um, specifically some that are going to be coaching tonight, that are going to approach the NCAA and say, we got to take a look at this. We'll let you go with this, but uh, as far as pro sports in Denver uh, goes at the moment, you've got a couple of uh, big-name new people coming to town in uh, Russell Wilson to the Broncos and Chris Bryant with the Colorado Rockies. How's that news gone out there? Well, it's um, you guys should be the ones to tell me about Chris Bryant. What should I expect here? <laughs> Well, leave him on third base is what I'd do. Yeah, he's going to the outfield. <laughs> I figures. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Rockies right there. They're, um, Russell Wilson, you can't go anywhere without spotting a Russell Wilson jersey right now. He, They've been bad for about six years since they won the Super Bowl, and that has, that has turned up the attention. You know, this has long been a um, – for six years now, it's been a, a football uh, – a hockey city with a football problem. And it's getting back to a Broncos town now because they should be good, you know, like they usually were, but they haven't had a quarterback, and Russell Wilson has injected some of that life into it. Paul, we appreciate your time, as always. Get that little guy out there on the putting green, chipping green, get him going, and we'll expect a full report next time we talk. Yeah, we're going to have him do some wind sprints. (laughs) Get him in shape. Start working on his his NIL package. That's, that's, that's the key right there. I got Carolina, and I think Kansas barely beats Villanova, and it wouldn't surprise me if Nova wins that one. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with two upsets tonight. Okay. Well, we'll see how that goes. Paul, thank you very much. Always good to talk to you. Thanks, Thanks Paul. guys. Take care. You bet. Paul Klee with us. He works for the Gazette out in Denver. The Gazette based in Colorado Springs, but they've got a Denver bureau. He kind of splits that bureau between the Gazette and and us. You when know, you say Gazette, you mean the Colorado Gazette. It's just called the Gazette. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, right. Yep. It is 10.50. We'll take a break. We'll come back with uh, 
and an open line the rest of the way. We'll also pull the winner for this week's Game Day Spirit Contest. Back after this. The Pella Window Showroom in Champaign specializes in windows and doors. Illini Pella can help you select the right window and door for your project, whether it's for replacements, remodeling, or new construction. Right now, they ask that you plan further ahead to allow more time to get your windows and doors in stock. Labor and material shortages are causing some extended lead times. Illini Pella, 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. PellaofChampaign.com and speaking of game day spirit, time now to pull the winner of our contest. By the way, you can register for this all week long. Just go to uh, WDWS.com, look for contests, and you'll find uh, the game day spirit uh, logo there. Click on that and enter your email address, and you are automatically entered. We've been giving away gift cards in recent weeks, and uh, this week's prize is a official Big Ten Championship Basketball T-shirt from Game Day Spirit. By the way, this is Mom's Weekend, too. They've got some Mom's Weekend T-shirts at Game Day Spirit for sale now. If your mom's in town, head on down there. And this week's winner is Nancy Gillis. Nancy Gillis is the winner of the uh, Game Day Spirit contest this week, winning one of those Big Ten Basketball Championship T-shirts. Thanks to uh, Nancy and all the folks that entered. Once you're in, you're in, and... uh, you can still uh, be in there for uh, weeks ahead. So thanks to our friends at Game Day Spirit as well. Let's go to uh, the phones. And Alan has been hanging on during that break. Go ahead, Alan. Uh, morning, guys. Uh, you, uh, you guys and Paul was talking about the officiating is different than holding, checking, which is true. There's something else that's going on that uh, they used to really – be sticky about and that's the legal screens i saw so many legal screens this year that weren't called and probably should have been called but would have been called three or four years ago now all of a sudden they decided not to call that near as much well okay i i, I don't disagree with you i think it's a tough call because when you're dribbling the ball and you hand it off you t- sometimes you block the defender which is of course intended but I don't know. How do you get out of the way sometimes either? I, I don't know. I, I think that's – how do you call it? Well, I don't like them leaning into play, uh, into right. a defender like a lot of them do. When I uh, when I sit in grade school and high school, I call it. But uh, And I see a lot of them don't know how to screen right. They run right up to them like a football block. Don't give them a step. And I also see them turn the bodies too, which you're not supposed to do. Okay. Well, I mean, I thought, we we I can talk about it. officiating is a, is a an awful wide subject, and I don't know where to start or where to end on I it. I mean, it's just really hard to do. I don't know what you're talking about. Hey, Alan, thanks for the call. We appreciate that. Coming up uh, a little bit later on, those two ball games in the NCAA Final Four down at the Superdome in New Orleans, Villanova and Kansas. Who are you going with? You got Kansas in that one. Yeah, I got Kansas and I got Duke, and and uh, I think Duke's going to win it all for Coach K. But again, the games come down to who can shoot and who can't on a given day. It's all about putting the ball in the basket. And these are all four good teams, but I think uh, it's unfortunate that uh, you know that that uh, Villanova's lost their best second best player. Mm-hmm. I guess North- I guess they consider Gillespie their best player, but Moore's a better scorer. North Carolina and Duke in the uh, second game. That first game, 
Villanova, Kansas starts shortly after 5 o'clock. Second game about uh, a few minutes short of 8 o'clock tonight. So they're moving the Illini baseball game back to 5, huh? They are. Got that word a little bit ago from 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock. So if you're out and about, even though it's sunny right now, it looked like you could... uh, they could have moved it up and <laughs> played it and got it out of the way. But uh, <laughs> yeah. they're looking at the radar, and uh, they're going to play that today at uh, 5 o'clock, Illinois baseball. So a lot going on. We had uh, covered a lot of ground this morning. I had a text that uh, we got when Josh Whitman was here that didn't really uh, um, apply to what we were talking about at the time, but it was a, que- a question for you and your relationship with um, <laughs> his name, Gene Bartow, yeah, his name just jumped out of my mind there. When uh, when he was here at Illinois for the one year he was here, did you get to know him very well? And yeah, well, I was pretty close to the coaches. I know tend to practice and that sort of thing in those days a lot, which we're not allowed to do now. Yeah, but um, uh, Gene got mad at me one day, and I'm trying. No. To, yeah, yeah, he got uh, he was upset with me about something. I can't remember what it was now, but we had we had one little spit, but it it, it was it was fine. He was like I say, he was only here one year. And I'll remember what what the problem was uh, when when we get off there, I suppose. <laughs> but I do know I did have one uh, little uh, semi-shouting match with him. Did you tell him that uh, because he was only here one year, him being the new guy, that he needs to get in line <laughs> <laughs> to have a spat with you? <laughs> well, There's a waiting list for that. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I I just I can't recall exactly what it was, but there was something. And it'll come to me later, maybe. It's all right. It'll come to you here in about 55 seconds. Probably the person that <laughs> called or knows what it was. <laughs> or why would you even bring it up, right? That, that could be. I appreciate uh, you listening today. Thanks to our guests, Adam Rittenberg, Jeremy Werner, Josh Whitman, and Paul Klee. Congratulations to uh, Nancy Gillis, the winner of our Game Day Spirit Contest. One of the guests next week in the studio will be Will Leach. Yep. He's going to be back studio. in town. For, he's a uh, Hall of Famer. Some Hall of Fame activities on campus, so he's going to join us in the studio. We'll have plenty to talk about with him. The uh, first few days of the baseball season will be in the books then. Some other stuff as well. Right here on News Talk 1400, WDWS, and 93.9 FM. Champaign-Urbana. Thanks to Dave Leak, our producer. I'm Steve Kelly. For Lauren Tate, have a good weekend, everybody.